If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. We will get there in a second. 1 Peter chapter 1, continuing in our hashtag church series. Um, I recently had the opportunity to uh, take in a Red Sox game, and it was great. I don't know if you enjoy going to Red Sox games. I do, even on losing seasons. I enjoy going, to, going out to the ballpark. I know they're not playing very good right now, but I enjoy a night out at all the same. But when I go to the Sox game, I realized I find myself doing things there that I don't do anywhere else in my life. If you think about it, maybe you do too, uh, that I find myself doing things I don't do anywhere else in my life. There is no place else in my life uh, where I sing Neil Diamond songs um, with myself or with choruses of thousands of people. And as silly and manufactured as I think that is and has absolutely nothing to do with baseball, I still find myself in the middle of the eighth under my breath saying, so good, so good, so <laughs> and letting out a bop, bop, bop here and there. But nowhere else in my life do I sing Neil Diamond songs at, uh, you know, with other people. Nowhere else in my life do I consume as much shelled peanuts as I do as for some reason when I'm sitting at a Red Sox game and then throw the shells on the ground because I think somebody enjoys coming to pick them up. I, I don't do that anywhere else. I don't, I don't sit in front of the TV at home and eat shell peanuts and throw them on the ground. But for some reason at a Red Sox game, I do that. Nowhere else in my life do I feel it's normal to pay $5 for a single hot dog. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't. I go, to, I go to the game, like, yeah, five bucks. Yeah, I keep the change. No problem. Yeah, that's good, you know. It's a deal. It's a bargain. You know, everywhere else in my life, I'll go to the grocery store and be standing in front of that, you know, hot dog refrigerated, you know, place and be going, three bucks for eight hot dogs. It seems a lot. <laughs> you know, where it would be 40 bucks for those same eight hot dogs at Fenway. Uh, do things that nowhere else in your life do you do. The other thing I thought of that somewhat relates to this morning's message, I do have a point where I'm going here. Nowhere else in my life do I find myself giving high fives to strangers that I don't know and have never met before. And this happens. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you're not like this, but I go to the game and, you know, you get excited. Somebody hits a home run. The Red Sox go ahead. And all of a sudden, I am high-fiving people around me who I have never met before. And for some reason at a Red Sox game, this completely very introverted, very germ-conscious person is high-fiving strangers uh, and, 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 you know, saying, and for some reason, this takes place. I don't walk down the street high-fiving people. I usually don't do this with people I don't know. But for some reason, it happens at a baseball game. And I think one of the reasons is because however superficial the expression, uh, there is something within us that enjoys connecting with people over a shared interest. I think there's something within us that wants to connect with people. And even over that very minimal, very surface, very superficial, uh, but in that moment, in that emotional, you know, moment, there is something that wants to connect with the person around me and celebrate with the people around me, even if the only reason they're there is because they happen to buy tickets with the number next to my seat. It's not something that just occurs in sports stadiums or sports parking lots. It's something that also occurs in church, 
Last Sunday in our hashtag church series, we looked how gathering, how the gathering together on a Sunday morning is to be a place that we connect with God. This morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about how it's also to be a place that we connect with each other and that we connect with others. When you walk into this building on a Sunday morning, if you come in through the main entrance, there's uh, something you see called our Connection Center. And right over that Connection Center, you see these words, Connection Center, connect with God and connect with others. These words are not there just because we needed something to fill the space. They're not there because it sounded catchy. These words are there because they are fundamental to who we are and who we believe we are supposed to be, and what we are supposed to be as Christians. They are deeply grounded biblically throughout Scripture, and certainly in the words of Jesus himself. Jesus, uh, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing for us to do? What's the most important thing that a follower of God can do? He answered very uh, clearly. He gave the greatest commandment. He said, "Is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he said, this is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Connect with God and connect with others. That's one of the main purposes we see of the church. Jesus also said um, of connecting with others in John chapter 17. He was praying for believers. And he actually said, uh, not just for his disciples there. He was praying for us, those who will believe later. He said, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Christ's prayer when he prayed for you and for me who would come to believe much later, his prayer was that we would connect with one another, that we would more than that, we would be one. In another place in John chapter 13, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, Jesus is telling us that one of the greatest ways that people will know that we are followers of Jesus is by the way that we love each other. I think we're often saying, well, well, how am I going to tell people I'm a Christian? How will people know that I love Jesus? How will people know what it is to love Jesus? And it's interesting in this passage, all the things we come up with and all the ways we try and tell people. In this passage, Jesus says, the way that people will know that you are my followers is by the way that you love each other. By the way that you love each other. Something about the way that you love each other in the midst of a society and in the midst of a world who often does not show a love for one another, which is often harsh to other people, the way that you love one another will testify that you are my followers. Loving God and loving each other is important. So we try and design spaces and ministry to allow both to happen. We talked last Sunday about how the entire worship time is designed so that we can love God. But the time and space is also designed to love others. Greeting time, we just had a few minutes ago, is not just a transition time in our worship service. It's not just so Pastor Brian can come up and get a microphone. The greeting time is there 
so that you and I can at least have a moment of face-to-face time with someone that we are worshiping alongside, someone else who loves Jesus. I know it's not a lot of time. I know there's not a, it can't be a whole lot of meaningful conversation that takes place, but it is a recognition that it is important for us to connect with one another, not just, uh, not just sit and stare at the back of someone's head. And I hope that you will take more time. What, what I hope that is, is just a taste to say, you know what, I, maybe I'd like to get to know that person more. Um, we design our spaces for that as well, right? We uh, put the cafe in a number of years ago. And one of the reasons is just so we can connect with one another. So you didn't walk in the building and you weren't either just in a hallway or in the sanctuary. There was another in-between space where you could connect with one another face-to-face. So come a little early before service or stay a little late afterwards. Have a conversation, a cup of coffee, and connect with each other because this is one of the reasons that we're here today. After church today, we have a picnic. We have a lunch. I don't know how much of a picnic it is. It'll be an indoor picnic, uh, but we will have lunch together in the Family Life Center, and I hope you are planning to stay. You didn't have to sign up. We have plenty of food. Please stay for lunch, even if you weren't planning on it, because I cannot take all that food home. So please. But one of the reasons we do this is so that we will have a space to connect with one another. Sit down at a table and have a meal with one another. Sit down at a table and just look across the table and listen to someone else's story. Jesus said it's important, and so it should be important to us. But if meaningful connection is something we as humans long for, and it happens at some places superficial as a ball game, And if it's something we as Christians are called to and it's biblically important, then clearly the question is, why do we so often feel disconnected? And why doesn't it happen more deeply? Why does it seem like that sometimes I walk out of church or you walk out of church and you are no more connected to the person you sat beside that morning than the person you might sit beside at a baseball game? Why is it that you can sit beside someone, worship the Lord, experience his presence, even maybe get emotional about your worship and God, maybe they do too, and yet you walk out and you are no more connected to that person beside you than if you had sat beside them at a sports game or in some other venue. Why does that happen? If it's important, if we design spaces and times like that, why don't we connect more or have more connection with one another? Why is it that many times that I hear people when they're moving from a church to another church uh, that more often than not, the reason I hear is we didn't connect or we aren't connecting or we don't feel connected? Why is it that there's not more connecting in church? I think the reason we often don't connect in church or more correctly with the church The reason we often don't connect with the church is at one level the same reason why I don't find myself high-fiving strangers when I walk down the street like I do at the Sox game. That reason is that most of the time in our lives, most of the time in our lives, the things that make us different are stronger or more evident than the things that make us the same. I think many times the reason we don't connect in church and the reason we don't connect other places is because our differences sometimes are stronger than what we have in common or they overpower or they overshadow the things that we have in common. 
See, many times people, when they have something in common, they try and connect over it, right? Whether, you know, it's someone uh, at a baseball game or someone you're riding the elevator up with. You know, outside the elevator, you don't say a word to each other. But you get in the elevator together and realize you're the only ones there and feel like you need to say something to one another because we have this shared experience of being in this very small space for a short amount of time. And, and, and so we, we connect over something. Or you're in line at the DMV and it's taking forever. And you start talking to the person beside you. You're in line anywhere and it's taking forever. You know, you're in line at the grocery store and they got one register open for 400 people. And you start talking to the person, can you believe they got one? Because we have this shared experience of being upset and frustrated. And we find common ground. And so we find something we have similar and we connect over it. It happens, you could be just walking through the park or sitting on a bench. And you start talking to the person beside you. What do you talk to the person beside you sitting on the bench? Uh, some of you are going to say, I never talk to the person. I understand. Okay. What would, you, what would you talk to the person beside you sitting on the bench about? What would your question, what would you talk about? The weather, of course. Because if nothing else, the paths maybe, if nothing else, it is the least common denominator of shared experience that we have. We may have nothing else in common, all of our difference, everything else in our life may be different, but we are under the same sky. And so we experience the same heat, the same cold, the same rain, the same dampness. And we can talk about that because we connect about something similar. There's something within us that wants to connect about similarities. And our differences we often stay away from. And I think one of the reasons we don't connect more in church is because those things that are different about us often overpower that which is similar about us. It's a problem when in the church, or more correctly, with the church, we only connect with the weather or sports or things like that. Why is it that we don't connect more? Because with the church, like with other places, our differences are often more important and overshadow what we have in common. Like any place you know, or I would go, or you would go, there are a lot of differences with people who go through the doors and come through the doors of this building on any given Sunday. There are certainly ones that are obvious differences. There are age differences. There are the youngest children that come to this building and and seniors that have been on this earth for 80, 90, 95, maybe the oldest, 96, I think, maybe the oldest person I know of in this church. Um, And you have people of all age groups that come into this building. Obvious differences, right? Obvious uh, uh, nationality differences. Many people born in many different nations. Obvious skin color differences were represented. God's creativity and skin color is represented very well in our church. And obvious sometimes differences you can see. But there are also ones that you can't see on the outside. There are financial differences, that sometimes separate people. There are differences in personality, differences in interests, differences in abilities, experiences, and opinions. These differences are present and they do not go away, nor should they go away when we walk through the doors of this building. We are different people the way God has created us, the way God has made us. The story God has given to you is different than the story God has given to me. But there are differences, and I think sometimes the reason we don't connect more is because we allow the differences to overshadow the similarities. For Christians, the real hindrance to community can be when the differences overshadow the similarities. A major hindrance of community 
A major hindrance is community is when we don't have, is when what we have in common is not at the forefront of our mind, which is Christ. We have much less in common, perhaps numerically. Maybe if you and I were to sit down together and number the differences, there would be a lot more differences than similarities. But I would argue this morning that what we have in common is much more important than any difference that there might be among us. That what we have in common, if you are a follower of Christ and I am a follower of Christ, that what we share in common is qualitatively much more important than any of the differences that we may have in our lives. Let me quickly give you three things that we as Christians have in common that should help overshadow any differences we bring. Not erase differences, but overshadow them. They're much more important. Much more important. We share Christ together. And we ought to share this together. The first thing we have in common with all other Christians is something we also have in common with all other humans, and that is creation. We have been created by the same creator, God. We also bear his image on us as his creation. This fact should evoke compassion in our heart for all people and give us some level of connection with every person because you have never looked in the eye of a person who was not created by God and bears his image. And so for that reason alone, there should be something we connect with with everybody, not just Christians in the church, but with everybody. This is why our love must extend beyond those who call themselves Christians, but must extend to all people created by God, our Father. This is something even non-Christians feel, this, this somewhat connection to others, right? This is why you have slogans uh, that, that de-emphasize differences like race and say we are all a part of the human race, because there is something within us, created by God, we would say, bearing God's image that connects us to every person. But as Christians, we have more in common with each other than the fact that we were created in the image of God. We have that in common with everybody. We also have, secondly, redemption in common. And let's look at that in the passage this morning. First Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 22 to 25. And Peter... Uh, writing to Christians in the early church going through a great time of persecution, writes this letter to uh, comfort them and to remind them of their responsibilities. And he says this, chapter 1, verse 22, Now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This passage gives Christians a very clear command to love one another. It's one of many in the Bible that use these terms. But it also gives us some reason and grounds for the loving. Because we have been saved, purified, converted, redeemed. In fact, all we have to do is jump back a couple verses to verses 18 and 19 just before this. And Peter says this, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But... With the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. So for Christians in the church, we have all been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. I may be different from you in many ways, but as a Christian, I have been redeemed by the same blood of Jesus Christ that you have. I have experienced the same redemptive life in that sense that you have. We may have committed different sins. Certainly we have. But we have both been saved out of our sinfulness in the same way through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and putting our faith in him. We both were in a place that we could not by our own effort and strength save ourselves. We both have been saved by putting our faith in Jesus. In that way, it's kind of like the fraternity of people who go through a very difficult time together and never uh, forget each other. It, it reminds me of a number of years ago, perhaps the miners that were caught in that mine in Chile for so long. And I don't know what happened to them all afterwards, but I can Im- imagine that they never forgot the people that came out of that mine with them. Because once you go through an experience like that, you may go your separate ways and you may be very different, but you don't forget being in a mine trapped, you know, thinking you're going to die and then coming out through a hole to spare your life together. You stay connected to those guys. It reminds me of guys in the military who may have gone through a difficult experience, whether it's uh, being in a Humvee where an IED goes off or whether it's being in a foxhole with bullets flying over your head. You don't forget those experiences with the people you go through them with. And so you hear stories of veterans that get together every single year. They don't stay connected maybe with anyone else in their life, but they stay connected every single year with those guys that shared that experience. With you and me in Christ, we should be no less committed to one another because you and I have experienced together the same redemption, pulling up out of that hole, salvation from our sins saved from hell and given to heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I have that connection with you and you have that connection with me. And so when we get together, there ought to be a connection in us that overshadows any differences we might have. No matter how different we are, we are redeemed by the same blood of Jesus. I could not save myself and you could not save yourself. And so we're connected through the blood of Jesus and that ought to overshadow the differences that are there between us. We have Jesus in common. We sing Christ is enough for me, but the truth is Christ is enough for us. It's enough to unite us together or it should be enough to unite us together. It should be enough to cross any barrier that would exist and any difference that we might see or not see, Christ is enough because you and I have been redeemed by that same precious blood of Jesus. The third thing we have in common is the fact that we share the same Father. And it says that this here in 1 Peter chapter 1 It says, deeply, but love one another deeply in your heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's the seed of God that's his word. It really speaks of fatherhood, that we have been redeemed through God and have the same father together, that we are all together, as we put our faith in Jesus, children of the Lord. This is, of course, why the New Testament so often uses familial language to describe the church and the followers of Jesus. There are a lot of ways that I am different from people in my family. 
but there's a connection because we're family. Why do you get together every year with that crazy uncle in your family? Or that aunt that everybody talks about when she leaves. Why do you get together with these people who you might never otherwise associate with in your life? Were they not family? Because they're family. You get together with them because they're family. I I imagine that some of my family members ask themselves, why do we get together with that Jesus-loving pastor every time when maybe they know no other evangelical Christian in their life? I'm thankful they put up with me because I'm family. And it happens, right? That's what you do when you're family. You, you put up with, it overshadows the differences. And so the fact that we have the same father in God as we follow Christ makes us family. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that ought to overshadow. And so we, we look and we say, well, someone looks very different than us, but they're family. Someone acts very different, but they're in the family. And so that connects us to one another. And Peter is saying, you ought not only just love one another. Peter says it more strongly than that. He says, love one another deeply from your heart. I think we hear that love one another so often, and I have and you have. And if you've read through the New Testament, it says it many, many times. But this passage, when I came to it, struck me because of the qualifiers. Peter doesn't just say love one another. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. Somehow that just speaks to me and just raises the question in my mind, am I loving people in the body of Christ deeply from the heart? In the church, we've all been redeemed by the same blood of Jesus. God's our Father, and that should transcend any differences there may be between us. These three things, creation, redemption, and fatherhood, we as Christians have in common. They are enough in common to overcome every and any difference we might have. The reason we don't connect with people is because differences sometimes overshadow what we have in common. We must live loving one another. This isn't an option. This isn't an option. Read this passage. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that for the purpose of you have sincere love for your brothers. In other words, one of the reasons you have been saved is to love other Christians. I think we need to let that sink in for a minute. Because sometimes we think we are just saved for our own benefit. Or we think, well, I can just believe and have my own little personal walk with God. This scripture seems to say very clearly that, unless, that if you are saved, you will love those in the body of Christ. That there will be a love in you that once you purify yourselves and you're obeying the truth, that a natural and direct result of that is a love for others in the body of Christ. We would often say that you have been saved to worship God and that is primarily and certainly true. We would say that you have been saved in order to tell others about Jesus. That is absolutely true. You have been saved though according to this passage in order to show love to other Christians. And this is important. Why is this so important? Because what it does is it brings about full redemption through Jesus. See, when sin came into the world, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, and you read it, when sin came into the world, it broke things. It broke the relationship between us and God. 
which we often come to church and, and we talk a lot about that, healing that relationship between us and God and the cross and Jesus Christ and his blood did that. But if you read Genesis chapter three more and you, and you read it about the entirety of the curse, you also see it broke the relationship between humanity. Adam and Eve no longer related to each other perfectly the way they did before the fall. For one thing, they used to walk around without clothes on. Now, I don't think we're going there before heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, but we're not going there here. But they walked around without clothes on. But afterwards, it said they were naked, and they realized they were naked, and they felt ashamed. They did not relate to each other the same way as they did before sin came in. Certain things God tells Eve and certain things God tells Adam that, 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 that speak to the fact that the relationship between humanity was broken. And so when we come to Christ, certainly we recognize that the relationship that was between us and God that was severed is made whole again in Jesus and through the cross. And we celebrate that and we worship that, but that's not where it ends. Jesus died also so that the barrier wall could be broken down between humanity and so that the relationship between humanity can also work the way it is supposed to work in God. And so he redeemed also the brokenness that came into the way I relate to you and you relate to me. And so that is why Jesus says, when you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples because that kind of love only comes about through a redemptive work of Jesus Christ healing from the consequences of the sin that came into the world. And so that is why if you and I are Christians and followers of Jesus, we cannot say we follow Jesus and say we do not love our fellow Christian brother and sister. That is denying the redemptive work in Christ that he came to accomplish. There is that natural outflow that must be there of loving one another that comes through what Christ has done. Sin coming into this world not only severed our proper relationship with God the Father, as I said, but it also severed our relationship with each other. But God healed that through Christ. He's repaired the severed relationship with God and the severed relationship with one another. Peter's saying that if I am a follower of Jesus, then the one thing that should naturally and obviously flow out of that following of Jesus is a love for others that follow him. He is saying that what we have in common should and must be more important than our differences. We share Christ. So when we come together, we come together around Christ. But let it not just be our Sunday gathering. Let me remind you of those words of Jesus that we often say around the communion table, but they weren't intended to be only be said around the communion table. For as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Those words weren't given so that you would do it once a month. They weren't given so that you would do it once a week. For as often as you get together, break bread with one another who are followers of Christ, remember me. Because in that moment when you break bread together, when you are together in his presence, that there is Christ there and the similarities that you have overwhelm your differences and you have Christ in common. And so you should and we should evidence the fact that we are saved through the love that we have for one another. When we come together, there should be a testimony 
to Jesus before anyone even says a word. And I think there is. But the way that we love one another ought to continue that testimony. I think if someone walks in this room on a Sunday morning and we took everything down and there was nothing to say what we were here for and just sat here and somebody observed, you would at least have some questions of what was going on in this room. Why would a group of such diversity, ages, experiences, life situations come together in any single room? Why would an eight-year-old be singing beside an 80-year-old? Why? And why would that 80-year-old tolerate that (laughs) eight-year-old and even rejoice in what's going on? Well, they must be part of the same family, I guess would be the answer. And I guess that's partly the answer. Why would someone born in Africa, Asia, the islands, South America, why would those be standing beside each other and sitting beside each other? Why should they care about one another? There should be a testimony to who Christ is without us even saying a word. And when we do speak words, they ought to be words of love towards one another and compassion. And then they would say even more, what is it that can bring about such a love between people who are so different? It's not because we cheer for the same sports team or it's not because we, you know, are going, attending the same movie or anything like that. That stuff wouldn't bring us together to the level that Christians ought to be brought together. It ought to be because we serve Jesus and we love him. And there ought to be a testimony of who he is and what he is like before anyone even speaks a word. So what's this look like on a daily basis? It looks like caring about what happens and is happening in the life of other Christians. It caring deeply about them, as Peter says. It looks like sharing that sacrificial love. The word Peter uses there for love one another deeply from the heart is that word agape. It's that word that the Bible often uses of God's love for us, that unconditional, sacrificial love. And Peter's saying, you ought to have that same sacrificial love that caused God to send down his son and for Jesus to sacrifice his life to redeem you. You ought to have that kind of agape, that kind of sacrificial love for one another. And so it means caring for each other. It means, sometimes it means sacrificing. Sometimes it means sacrificing money. It always means sacrificing time and attention. Pay attention to the person in front of you. It means caring for those hurting around the world in a meaningful way, but caring for those right next to you as well. When Christians are hurting around the world, we try and remember them in prayer. When we can give and help a situation, we try and do that. And sometimes that's the most we can do when our brothers and sisters are hurting on the other side of the world. But we can do more when they're hurting on the other side of the street or the other side of the aisle or the chair right next to you. We're to care for one another and love one another. It looks like listening to fellow Christians and giving them space to be heard. It looks like not rushing off. It looks like praying for them and their walk, their faith and their needs in their life. It looks like walking in close relationship with fellow Christians. It looks like sharing joy with each other. 
weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. We will try our best as leaders, as pastors, to facilitate a place to connect here at Mount Hope. We share with you when something happens, we try to in the life of the body. Somebody dies who's close to somebody in this church, we want you to weep with them. Somebody has a baby like Jenna and Jimmy Craig did this week, and we want you to rejoice with them. A wedding takes place, we want you to rejoice in the body. We bring up couples last week, like the Tigias, who shared about Cameroon. We want, you to, we want to care for one another and the places we come from and the things that we care about and the people that we are. We want to love one another and appreciate the differences we have, knowing that the similarities we have way overshadow any differences there may be between us. So we will do our best to try and facilitate that place. Community groups, classes on Wednesday nights that'll begin in September. Get involved, connect with people, meet in the cafe. But let me close with this. Just as that love for one another should testify to Christ, our lack of love says something too. You know it and I know it. Because you watch it on TV and someone brings it up with you and someone brings up something that they saw some Christians say about another group of Christians or some fighting that's going on and, and someone brings it up to you and says, what's going on? Why can't these Christians just, they can't even get along with each other. And right or wrong and whoever's right or wrong, whatever happens in that situation, it at least at times says something about Christ. And we will not compromise truth just to get along. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that we need to respect and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way that we love each other or our lack of love for each other will say something about Jesus. And if there's something in you that still finds it difficult to love other Christians, then ask God to continue his purifying process in you. Ask God to cleanse you and make you more like Jesus. That's what this passage says. Now that you have purified yourselves. In other words, now that God has done this work in you, you're obeying the truth. You will, as a natural occurrence, as something that comes about, love others in the body of Christ. So if I don't have that love within me, for me, the only conclusion is God There's more work to do in me. There's more work to do in me. And I know that's the case at times in my life. And if we're honest with ourselves, probably all of us at times would say, there's more work to do in me so that I can love others in the body of Christ deeply and from the heart. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you that as children of God, we can approach you as our Father, and it is one heavenly Father over all of us, that we are connected in the family of God. And Lord, there are so many differences that exist among us 
And I thank you for those. I thank you for each individual story. I thank you for each individual testimony. I thank you for all those differences you redeemed us out of. I thank you for the way you created us differently. But Father, we this morning want to come and pray what Jesus prayed. And that is that we as your followers would be one. That we would be one as there is oneness that exists in the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That that oneness would exist among us and be evidenced among us. And Father, to think about that oneness with, 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 with Christians throughout the world is a huge thought. And that's important. But Father, this morning, would you just help us to be one with those that are just under this roof today? Would you help us to love one another deeply and from the heart? And God, I'm asking right now that you would search our hearts and all of us could very easily sit here and say, I don't have a problem with this issue. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see the way you see, not out of, Lord, not out of just a spirit of judgment, but out of a conviction that we would be more like Christ and that we would repent and turn from anything that is not loving towards others in Christ. And would you, Lord, create in us a body of believers that would love each other in such a way that those who are outside might look and say, the way they love each other, I want to get to know Jesus because of the way they love each other. Father, may we evidence that in the way that we live and in the way that we love, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and we'll close out our service and worship.